are we? Yep. Microphones Madness is a member of the Legends of Tabletop Podcasting Network. Podcasting one of those two. Hey, everybody. Saturday night. Microphones Madness. We're a little behind. But we're all here. Over here we have Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And over here's Kim. I'm trying to be. Trying to My be. My thing still doesn't work. Dang it. It works. You know, it works when I uh, do. There's a Kim. <sighs> when I do uh, Mondays because I'm oh, logged in as Microphones of Madness. Very strange. Right. There I am. Good account. All right. <laughs> Do you, do you guys have your stuff like saved as presets? Yeah. That's zapping on the preset. Doesn't want to do anything. So, here we are. Our first episode in a, in a new series of things we're going to do. Yeah. Exciting things. Exciting things. Um, we decided that uh, periodically we should read some stories and talk about them. And we got just in such a hurry. We are a complete mess today, guys. I know. What's JC saying about all this? He's sleeping on the job. Oh, that bastard. But, um, let's see. Mr. Constantine, do you have any comments this week? Fuck Josie, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually plays right into our theme for the day. Kind of. No, it doesn't. It kind of does. A yeah. little bit. Sort of. Well, if you read... If you, if you look at it read, the right way. Yeah, if you read Milton's blog, it does. Okay, go ahead. Let's, let's, let's well, hear your connection. One of the reasons why well, first, let's let's say what we're doing. We're reading uh, Kikanga, which is a Sword and Soul anthology. Yes. Um, one of the reasons. Milton Davis and um, Balugan Ojitada. And we we apologize. <laughs> one of the reasons um, why Milton Davis is has invented Sword and Soul. Well, he didn't invent it, but why? Sword and Soul exists is because fantasy fiction generally, not all the time, but generally marginalizes non-white males. There you have it. And non-white females and right. females. Pretty much all females and and pretty much everybody that's not a white dude. Yes. Yeah. Some of it's worse than others, but generally it's there. <laughs> I mean, Which think about a barbarian, and who do you think of immediately? Conan. Yeah. Right? Right. He's the standard. Right. That's true. Conan, Conan, Conan is, is, is one of the standards, and then... And who, who are all the villains in Conan stories? <laughs> Stygians and Kush, and people from Kush. It was... Um, <laughs> Molly agrees. It was... Um, Mm-hmm. But see, one of the problems being when you point that out, people will go, "Well, Nolongo was a character." 
he right. wasn't evil. But he, he wasn't right. He wasn't Conan. <laughs> he right. was. He was. He was a part-time sidekick to Solomon Kane. Yes, exactly. Which, I mean, right there, Solomon Kane. As much as I love Solomon Kane, Solomon Kane was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. He certainly was. I mean, Conan was as well, but. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's all about all we get. Yeah. It's well, always gotten for the last hundred years or so. White chromite. Now, and even, even the reaction to Robert E. Howard, like Michael Moorcock's fantasies, mm -hmm. still most of the characters are white. Yes. Elric is beyond white. He's albino. <laughs> um, I think Ericos was jet. I don't... waiting for someone? No, we're, we're on. So you can go watch a movie. So even Eric, Ericos was jet, but I don't think he was of African origin at all. No. And then there's Token. That's right. There wasn't a single non-white character in that. Now, there's a story on Milton Davis's blog where he and his buddies were trying to uh, learn how to play D&D. So they asked the local D&D people, you know, the, the gamers, mm -hmm. um, if they could join in. And they were told they can play half-orcs. Which is, for those of you who've played D&D, that's basically... D&D slang for black people. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I was going to say, wait, what? They don't even get a whole orc? Well, I mean, fantasy fantasy is... Can you tell I don't play D&D? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, fantasy, fantasy itself is full of that. You have entire... I, I, don't, I don't want to use the term race, but entire species of humanoids that are not your standard... European archetypes that are born evil. Right. Or it's goblins. For example. Yeah. Drow. Drow, yeah. Speaking of D&D. &D. Right. Forgotten Realms, specifically. I mean, look, look, even even in Forgotten Realms, you have a, the setting of Fae is an Egyptian-themed setting, but everyone there is evil. It's like Stygia. Right. So, so you, have, you have that. So then you have gentlemen like Milton Davis coming along um, and, and working in this, this genre called Sword and Soul, which is Afrocentric fantasy. Right. It's a prehistoric mythic Africa. Right. Which is the setting for Geek well, well, Davis also works with uh, within the, uh, steampunk, which is steampunk. Right. And, um, and then Afrofuturism and, and this these sorts of right. rather specified subgenres. But we decided that we were going to uh, do a read through of the Kikanga anthology. 
mainly because there is a role-playing game coming out. And I talked to Milton about this earlier, and he wants it out. The goal is to get it out before June of 2016. Well, hello, Milton, if you're watching. Yes. Thanks, Milton. Um, so, yeah, you want to you go ahead and give the background on the, uh, on the anthology itself, or do you want to continue... Um, uh, well, the, the anthology is basically, um, I believe they're trying to set, just give background and a setting for, for the, uh, mm. the game that's coming out, which kind of ties it into our purposes because we do game. <laughs> we do games, we do comics, we do fiction. We're, we're all about the fantastic. This is a little of all of it, really. Escapism or us. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of which, one of your favorite objectivists is over my shoulder here. <laughs> Tony Stark says hi. I say. <laughs> you complete me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep during Age of Ultron, just so you know. Yeah, I, I saw that. I, I... <laughs> okay, so so back back to this. Um, so the first, actually, they set it up right for you at the beginning of it with um, an introductory kind of a, uh, not, not necessarily a story, but more of a, the, like the a legend. Setting. Yeah, I, I liked how they did that. You had, you had uh, Saunders do an introduction. Right. Who is the father of Sword and Soul? Correct. Correct. It was, it was nice to see something by him in here, just giving a general introduction to the the spirit behind Sword and Soul, and you know, just the diversity of the African diaspora itself, right? Being a wonderful setting for fantasy fiction. But it really is too. I mean, yeah, and it is. I mean, you know, Africa is huge. It's it's rich in lore, and there's like there's. The different of the human species. Well, there's, there's so many different like areas of mm -hmm. Africa. So you can have deserts. You have lush forests. You have tundras. You have everything in Africa. So you can conceivably have any kind of story you want to have set. Put them right there. Mm -hmm. And as Kim said, it's it's the birthplace of humanity. That's, that's where we're all from. Yep. These are the original human beings. They invented inventing. Well, they invented everything. These are, I mean, in the in the um, in the in the story, you know, this is prehistory of prehistory. So, mm -hmm. right, this is the, the early days of mankind. Uh, yeah. So you had the introduction by Charles Saunders. You had the cleave, the womb of it all. Think of it as like a, a two-page Cimmerillion. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's like. I don't know. I was reading through that, and and it was like sitting around a fire or something like that, listening to someone you know, just relate this story. It does have that that air of oral history to it. Mm -hmm. And and you get that, and and then they lead you into the next next story. Right. And from what I understand, from what I could gather, uh, I've only gotten a couple in. The, the anthology is set up, and it's basically the two of them taking turns. You know, Balogun is does one story, then Davis does a story. They alternate. 
Um, and I find as, as I read through these that a lot of them do have the kind of air of uh, an oral tale told around the fire. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are do have the flavor of like how like how zebra got his stripes or how crow became uh, became black feathered or whatever that kind of thing. I mean, even one of the early stories is was it how a Joah became king? Yeah, I believe yeah. that third or second actual story. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to that this today. Um, I thought we were just doing one story at a time. Oh, okay. And then, but because they were so short, the, at least the first two were pretty short. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of cheated. I've I've been reading it as I go, just because I, I use this. I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't hurt me. Yeah, I, I got through Nubia's Revenge and, and took you know, yeah, notes on the story itself. Okay. Well, then we'll just do Nubia's Revenge. Okay. Cool. All right, so because this is like Rodney's wheelhouse, actually, <laughs> this story is like was written for you, basically. Yeah, yeah, that, that kind of I, those are that's in my notes here. <laughs> for those of you at home who don't know, Rodney is way into martial arts and spiritualism, and if the martial arts and the spiritualism coincide. He's he's happy as shit. Yeah, I mean the the very okay. I guess we'll start with that. Um, we are looking at Nubia's Revenge. It is a story by Milton Davis, mm -hmm. um, and it tells the story. It, it's it's a revenge story. So, I mean, right there, it, it's got all of the elements of of classic Wuja right there. Revenge. There's the spiritual aspect, and then there's also the martial aspect. The story opens up with the scene of a battle. Just starting, Nubia is on her horse. She has her bow, and it's the initial charge, and she wipes some guys out. And then we get a flashback where Nubia is sitting out front of the Temple of the Dogon. Now, I really loved the fact that the Dogon appeared in this story because um, the Dogon, for those who aren't familiar, have legends that their people came from the stars. Oh, I did not know that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a legend I've heard several times, and it's just a fascinating bit of history. And they're actually a real thing? Um, yeah, the Dogon are, are a real tribe. And uh, the, cool. one of their legends is that uh, they're they originated, I believe, near Sirius. That is super cool. Sirius is very important to them. Davis uses the Dogon as these almost mystical characters and sets their temple up almost as a direct parallel to Shaolin. It is very very. And there, there is a sequence that is that is reminiscent of the very you know the, some of the flashbacks from uh, Kung Fu with David Carradine. Speaking of fantasy shows with white characters, shouldn't be. And Nubia is waiting outside. There's always a test to see why you want to come in. Why do you want this knowledge? 
She wants it for revenge. So she goes in. She trains. Well, they tell her that that'll change. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they... The religious guys always come off as cocky and arrogant. Well, you know, what do you want? I want revenge. Well, that'll change. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's well, actually, like no, the Sith Temple. Right. Unless it's a Sith Temple. If it's a Sith Temple, then it's like, oh, revenge, come right in. <laughs> revenge, the rest of the captain's table. Well, of course. Get the hell out of here. Come on in, revenge. Yes. But, um... No, they, they, yeah, they, they don't, they do not accept her as a disciple. So she waits. She waits in the weather. She waits through. She begins to starve to death. Um, and so they, they eventually come out and they say, you know, fine, we see you're determined. And they, they bring her inside, nurse her back to health, and begin her instruction. At which she excels. Once she was done with the training, she leaves and, and goes to find this man, this nameless man. They, you know, Davis never names the character of the, the villain um, who destroyed her village right. when she was a child and leads a battle against him. Now, there's a little bit of, you know, showing how awesome she got at skill, you know, her martial skills. Right. But the big part of the story is that the confrontation with the leader of the opposing army. Turns out he trained there as well, but he didn't complete his training. So she has just a little bit of an edge. Right. Well, he also tries to play the psychological game. Right. Or the revenge is you left too because you seek more. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's not it's a very com I don't want to say common, but the the trope is there, and everybody is familiar with it. Even like the first Conan movie, right? Schwarzenegger, going back to Conan, uses this. Yeah, I mean re revenge. I mean it's right. it's one of those anger, revenge. These are emotions that that people right. can really relate to. I saw a Jet Li movie that had like a similar. It's it's a very very common theme, particularly for action adventure tropes. Right. Um, you know it's 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 a solid motivation, but because because Milton Davis framed it in the in the way he framed it, turns out that it's not just you get your revenge and you walk away into the sunset. Right. Right. Nubia gets her revenge. And finds it empty. There's another thing that turns this trope on its side. Is Nubia is not your typical jacked-up Conan copy. First of all, it's a woman. Right. And outside of Red Sonia, you don't get a lot of that. Right. I mean, yeah. you have you have to go you have to go further east. Um, I mean, you get like Boudica, Shield Maidens, and things like this, but they they're not front and center. Right. You, you don't really get the kick-ass female protagonist. They're, they're not they're not like the norm. Hmm. Whereas in this story universe, they kind of are. Yeah. They, it's, 
I mean, they don't make a big deal about the fact that she is a female trying to get into a male temple. No. No. She just is. They they let everyone in. There, yeah. yeah. And she is leading an army, which is you know something you don't see too often under traditional Western fantasy. I mean, you have that in say stories like Mulan, the Ballad. And, and and these sorts of stories, other cultures that, that that appreciate you know women's qualities of strength and valor, and that these are universal qualities, not just manly attributes. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know that's it's it's an interesting. Now, wait a minute. You said she was leading an army. I don't see that. Um. Yeah. She's actually she's leading the army. She's she's in the command of the army because. Well, at least I thought she was going up against him and his little cohort. That's kind of how I read it as well. And she just kicked all the uh, she the went up to the side. You know, I'd have to pull up the story again, but see, you know, it doesn't seem to me that she's alone. Uh, you know, because you know, there is an army that's facing her, and and I guess I guess if you want to say that she's alone against you know this force. This horde, effectively. Yeah, maybe so. But you know, I kind of, I kind of read into it that you know she was at the the head of another another group, and it was her story. So we don't focus on anybody else in the group. Hmm. But I mean, I guess, I guess you could say she was alone. Well, it's it's immaterial. You're either. I mean, either way, you either have the lone woman kicking the ass of a of an army by herself, mm -hmm. or you have a woman in charge of an army kicking the ass of an army. Well, either way, you have a strong female character. Correct. The details are immaterial, and and either way you interpret it, whether it's um, she's alone or she's the head of an army, you can't deny the fact that she's a strong character. Definitely. Right. And and this is this is her story. It's not it's not one of those one of those kinds of stories that that flips back and forth. Um, you know, you, it's her perspective the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I like the way he he uh, describe Milton Davis describes the action because. You know, there, there's the flashback, but a lot of this is focused on, you know, the actual fight that we get, mm -hmm. the end result of all this training. And uh, she is not above using her feminine charms to her advantage. At one point, um, one of her opponents grabs her skirt off of her and then basically has an ataku nosebleed and she kicks his ass. Yep. And then puts her skirt back on. Yeah. yeah. So... Lust would break their focus. Lust would make them careless. Use all your weapons. Her teachers instructed her. Death comes in many forms. And one thing I really like about her is that she is extremely strong and capable, but that does not mean she has to sacrifice her femininity in order to beat the boys. You know, she doesn't have to be all manly, butch, feminist woman, you know. She can use her femininity against them. And she can feel emotions afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
doesn't have to she doesn't have to turn into a man, which is almost what women pretty much have to do. And, and, to be and in some respects, yeah, that's that's the way they that's the way female characters are often portrayed is you know <clears throat> trying to become men. That's true. You know, it's like it's a it's a man's world. I got to prove myself, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be twice as good to be considered half as good. Oh, did you watch? You watch Supergirl, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I want to bitch slap cat. No, cat's awesome. <laughs> cat needs to be there. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. On this this idea of female characters with the story, um, yeah, but I I mean this this story was your your classic martial arts adventure. It, right. it was. I mean, it was it was abbreviated. It's a very short story. It is. It made me want to read more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I mean, Davis. I, I you know we talked about. Um, I think during the Conan episode in season one earlier this year, we discussed the Wagadu blog. Mm -hmm. and it is linked in the description below. Milton Davis does post fiction on his blog as well. Right. And it's solid stuff. Yeah, it's not like this is a guy who just decided, oh, I'm going to write stories and publish them on my blog. The, the guy can write. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chemist by trade, but uh, yeah, he's written like eight novels cool. that uh, that are available. Um, he's uh, let's see, and he publishes the blog. He had a he had a Ning group at one point, Wagadu.ning, but uh, that ended up falling apart, and he pretty much focuses on his own blog and his his own writing right now. Um. So yeah, I mean that's, that's pretty much what you have. I would say the one thing that that drew me out of it was the transitions between the flashbacks and the main story. Because starts the flashbacks in italics. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed that. And and continues the flashbacks in regular print. And once you get back to the um back to the present, it. It's, it's kind of hard to find where the line of demarcation is, but that is, you know, that it's kind of inconsequential. But you know, it's. I it's, think that's just an editing glitch or something. Yeah, it's right. like a visual cue that that would have been helpful in delineating the different sequences that are going on, because it's really it's two stories being told simultaneously. Right. And, and what actually, once you figure that out. It's it's you know easy to switch back and forth yeah. in your mind. Yeah. yeah, because because the tone is a little bit different between mm -hmm. the two sequences, mm -hmm. and and so you can you know it's easy to discern, but still. And there's a couple of little editing glitches here and there, typos yeah. that probably would have been caught with one more pre proofread. Right. Well, I know he's uh, adding. The higher I'm telling you. I, I know he's adding stories to. Um, it works cheap. To the book. <laughs> um, I think if you it's an ebook, so if you buy the ebook, you get them updated, right? Automatically, isn't that how Kindle works? Um, I think so. I think if you most everything on the cloud is on the cloud, and 
it just updates it automatically. When I mean, honestly, it wasn't available um, for in iTunes. It was just Kindle, and I actually created a Kindle account on my iPad just so I could read this. Yeah. So that's how good it is. It is. It's it's a great story. Um, mm-hmm. Key Conga, I mean, you know, with the with the whole the Cleve uh, book you know, bookend story, really sets up a wild world that all of these stories take mm-hmm. place. The Cleve is awesome. There's weird dolphins. Yeah, weird dolphins. I want to I want to be a weird dolphin. Where orcas? Where octopi? For yeah, I'm I'm assuming that the Cleve would be the, the Rift Valley. Like that, that's what I'm, I'm, I, I suspect, that's, kind of the, the idea it, I had in my head. Yeah, that's the impression I got from it. Because It's like now, a starting point. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the Rift Valley is, if you want to talk about the cradle of humankind. Right. That's the, point of origin. the prevailing theory is that Old Divide Forge in the Rift Valley is the cradle of humankind. That's where it happened. That's where our ancestors that were apes that were on all fours became apes that weren't on all fours. <laughs> That's us. Hello. So it would make sense that the origin of all the magic and all of the, the malevolence, I mean, he says the most powerful and miscreant of these malevolent creatures are kept bound in the cleave by Tyrak. So it's not only, like, all the good magic, but all like the evil shit in the world mm-hmm. is there, and that is, you know, that's the beginning. That's Pandora's box. That's everything. Right, and and the cleave also discusses a primordial war between two two uh, species or two races. Right. Um, in which the, the, the creator and the Rom. Mm-hmm. In which the creator of the world decides that both of those races need to be wiped out. In order to, you know, make Earth a great place to live, right. and the evil is created through his wrath. Here's actually an interesting thing. So the uh, the creator of these two species, it doesn't the heaven and the earth, mm-hmm. is a uh, Darilla, right, and his wife Ida, it's Ida or Odu. Mm-hmm. Um, is considered to be Darilla in mortal flesh. Right. So you have a god that has both female and male um, aspects. Yes. And, and, and it's interesting that you know the cosmic version being the male and then the fleshly representative or the fleshly incarnation being female. That's not um, unusual. Yeah. And that, that's not... Didn't the, the Theosophist did felt that way as well, and the Greeks certainly did. Mm-hmm. So that that's not uncommon. I think what we, I mean, there's even rumors of if you're a Gnostic that the original like Abrahamic God mm-hmm. had both male and female aspects to it, and it was a uh, schism. Yes. Well, isn't there some branch of Christianity that says God has a wife? That might be the Gnostics. Okay. I don't. That, I don't know what it is. It's, it's just lost out of my head. But 
So, I mean, we have... Scott Jones would be the person to ask about that. Yeah, we have like this 2,000-year-old rose-colored lens. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of the way that our, that our predecessors, ancient civilizations law, is lost on the general populace. I won't say it's lost knowledge, but it's not something that, you know... It's effectively lost. Joe Blow in, in, in Idaho... Well, there's only so many times you can retranslate sacred text before it just loses all meaning, you know? You translate it, you retranslate it, you interpret it, somebody, somebody else interprets it, you know, politics gets involved. And I think you just nailed the, yeah. the hammer there. Politics gets involved. Yeah. Not necessarily ours, though ours probably isn't helping. But, you know, if you go to uh, ancient Egypt, a lot of the evidence of um, female deities, female pharaohs, has been tossed aside. Um, apparently, prior to the priest... Uh, now, I might be off. There's some point in, in Jewish texts, Hebrew texts, where the female aspect of of God has been wiped clean from texts, like purposefully wiped clean. And I want to say it might have been the beginning of the rabbinical age, but I'm, I don't know enough about that. So it, it's the point being that having a, a deity with aspects of both female and male is not uncommon, or shouldn't be uncommon. At one point it wasn't very common. So kudos to these guys for, you know, putting that in there. Mm -hmm. Starting so, it up right. Old thinking. Well, it's pretty darn primal. I mean, pretty much all we know is, re reproduction-wise, is male and female. Right. And it, it, life requires both. Well, our life. Well, most, most life. Our understanding of science Not according is... To Philip Jose Farmer. Animal life, you know, single-celled protozoa like uh, certain commentators. Right, and there are hermaphrodites in nature. We know that now, but back then, we did not know that. Well, I mean, we knew that what commentator reproduces by cloning. We, we knew what we could observe with the naked eye. We saw animals. Um, requiring male and female. So, so it, of course... It's, it's, it's easy to jump to the conclusion, if you're getting metaphysical about it, that both aspects are, are needed for life as we know it, as we knew it then, to continue. So, but also, who is giving birth? You know, where does the new life actually come from is from the female. There's absolutely no denying that. Right. And that's simple observation. So, of course, women would be elevated in, in stature because of this. It's when we get into these more abstract type of beliefs 
that they push women to the side and say, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about, it's all about me. <laughs> it's all about. It's all about that phallus. You screwing me that I gave you that. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's led to a fucking nightmare for a lot of people. Yeah. That's true. And it's all addressed in this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this book solves all the problems. (laughs) I I just think it's nice that that these guys took the time to like really break away from your traditional sword and sorcery Mm -hmm. fair, even to the point where the deities aren't your typical sword and sorcery deities. Right, exactly. You don't have your Krom or your or your Ariok. Right. Even though I love me some Ariok. You love you some Ariok, but still, I mean these are these are very masculine deities. Yes. Sword well, sorcery is very testosterone. It's like even Zambarg, the Queen of the Swords, mm-hmm. is very masculine. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. She really is. I mean, it's it's like this. By and large, the fantasy genre is, you know, 500 pages of 300. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, right. Yeah. And it gets even worse if you read, like, gore. Right. Because then it's 50 shades of 300. And then, then there's Zardoz. <laughs> yeah, but you get to see Shaw Connery in a diaper, so it's all right. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the meme. I'll pass. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amusing movie. <laughs> it is an amusing movie. Definitely. <laughs> I suddenly remembered my diaper. <laughs> I suddenly remembered my diaper. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, for those of you who want to get a copy of Key Congo, it is available on Amazon for like three ninety nine right now. So the link is in the description of this video. Yes, it's super cheap. Super, super cheap. Like Mad Magazine, super cheap. Yeah. Like a cup and of Starbucks, box. cheap. Yeah, it's free stuff. There's apps that cost more than this book. <laughs> they really are. And I know that he that. Uh, Milton Davis has talked about a print version of it coming out as well. Oh, nice. So, so that's something to look forward to. Because, you know, however many books you have on your tablet of choice, there's nothing like holding the thing in your hands. Right. And Milton, yelling if you're watching, your, and if you're yelling watching, at your kids for dog-earing the pages. Milton, if you're watching this, hire me. I will scour your editing... I will nitpick it to death. I will make it clean for you. Hire me. Hire me. Because she is Madame Odysseus, queen of the nitpickers. I am. That's 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 her official title, though. Oh, yes. right on. Yes. So somebody needs to get it worked on a T-shirt for that. Right. We need that in time for Necronomicon. That's right. So, 
we've pretty much covered that story in, in depth. We did. So yeah. next week um, we are going to do an interview with gaming legend Shane Ivey of Delta Green fame. Nice. How did you score that coup? I asked him. How <laughs> not? Uh, Shane DM'd a game I had the pleasure of playing online, and I became Facebook friends with him because of it, and I, I used that and all the charm that I possess. My fingers are very close together at this point. Um, and honestly, they just finished their Kickstarter, and they're... They want to like keep the momentum going, so there you go. Welcome aboard, Shane. <laughs> so that'll be next week. So if anybody is listening to this and has questions for Shane Ivy, post them and we'll ask. Them. There you go. Um, and then Monday will be another exciting episode of Psychos on a Train. Psychos in a space elevator. Oh, Psychos in a space elevator. Oh, that's right, because we're, we're, we're psychos in space. You know what's funny? Oh, I gotta write that. The D20 modern game that I play, the last time we played, which was like six months ago, we ended on a space elevator. Nice. Somehow, so, I'm getting masks. You guys are going on a space elevator. <laughs> Just so I can have continuity in my life. It's an, an, an ancient uh, space elevator. <laughs> Space elevator of the old one. That's right. The government um, is keeping secret. In Australia. So, so Psycho's on a space elevator. The proper name for that is Eclipse Phase Ozymandias. Yes. And that's, that's an original adventure written by our good friend uh, Wes. If you've been following it, it's really fun. But every character is completely despicable. Especially Chaz mine. Despicable. Chaz is cuddly. Yeah. Everybody is despicable. You can avoid the crayons in his nose. Jazz is very... This is the one time you will have Wesley playing characters who are not the worst of a lot. The one time. This character is actually the worst of a lot. I am the worst of a lot. I freely admit it. So... Monday, Eclipse Phase Ozymandias, 9.30 Eastern Time. Friday, Fungi. Exciting Adventure of Psychos in a Small Town. Also, oh, that's not that bad. Hulu, Last Rites. Jason Bowling's no, that's not that bad, except for Andy. I don't, I don't know. I mean, those, those characters are pretty antisocial. They're nothing compared to the Ozymandias characters. <laughs> It just means we have to try harder. You do. <laughs> There's not a, a, not an, enough NPCs left crying in your wake. Right. Right. That's right. Andy decided she wanted to be Julian Benoit, and and Mel has occasional Chaz moments. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all ripping off my characters, man. Stop. <laughs> And once again, Saturday will be Shane Ivey. Shane Ivey. Yep. Live 
in the Microphones of Madness virtual studio. Yes. And then... Um, yeah. Um, will we be getting back to this the week after, or is that Farah? Um, Farah is December 5th. Farah Rose of uh, Manted Magazine will be our guest on the 5th of December. Yeah, so... Okay, so it's Shane Ivey and then... Uh, I forgot Shane her name already. I'm sorry. Farah. Farah. Rose. Right. And then we're back to this. Cool. Is that the way it works out? I thought there was one more week. Is there? Uh-oh. Hold on. Calendar. Uh, no. Nope. 28th is Shane. And, and then Farah... How about that? Two interviews back to back. I know. And then the 12th will, pardon me, come back to Kikonga. Yep. We'll come back to Kikonga on the 12th. Um, and then uh, I'll have to get get with the guys and do some planning for the shows after that. Right on. For the Christmas special. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. Krampus special, man. The, cra- the Krampus special. I believe Krampus Noct is... Is early in December, so Pharaoh might be the compass special. Oh, well, that's kind of appropriate. So, we're going to call it a night here, unless uh, anybody else has any, any further bitching they want to do. Anybody want to bitch? No. Well, I agree with Constantine 100%. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just keep my mouth shut about the whole thing. I'm just gonna make some popcorn and, and watch the watch the shenanigans. Watch it burn. I already told watch a bunch burn. of people that if they wanted to use me as their scapegoat to throw under the bus, feel free. Thieves plotting fame and fortune right there. Right. Well infamy. Infamy. Ooh. So good night everybody. Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Oh, well, there is one more thing. Uh, oh. After the Gracie. You, you, you can't just write Gracie. Burns and Allen would never do that. All right, what do you got? What? I, I retconned. There was, a, there was a multiversal collapse, and this is now we're starting. Hold on. Oh, my God. You'd think we were drunk. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I want to remind everybody about the blog. Uh, yeah. Once again, that's uh, Uh We have six questions with Mara Rose in preparation for the fifth interview. Uh, there is a review of Casilda's Song, published by Chaosium, edited by Joe Pulver. There is a review of Call of Cthulhu's seventh edition, by some asshole named Steve Rosenstein. Never heard of him before, but uh, I paid him five bucks. You yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I and, uh, uh, our, our good friend Leah Bond did a review of Lucius to the Prophecy. So all of that and a couple more things on there. Uh, one more time. It's microphonesofmadness.wordpress.com uh, you can catch the audio version of this show and many more at Podbean. That's mnh.podbean.com. You can download everything there for free. Um, 
Yes, I, I see that. <laughs> Does that mean Legends of Tomorrow? <laughs> sure, sure. There we go. I'll be joining Rip Hunter. Um, I will be cast as uh, Skeets in that show. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So one more. Once again, uh, microphones of madness. Proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. Uh, you can check them out. I believe their website is legendsoftop.com. Uh, microphones of madness and our role-playing shows both have forums in their legendary forums. You can stop by and maybe you'll get a chance to chat with one of us. Although most of our viewers chat with us regularly anyway. That's true. <laughs> you mean our, our one viewer? Our one viewer. I only <laughs> lost that viewer to, to uh, hosting duties. Yes. That's right. We, we, lost, obligations. we lost a viewer and gained a host. So um, that's it for this week. Until next time, say goodnight, Gracie. Again. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good night, Gracie.